this morning, I'm just, uh, I just have been personally, I've been in uh, just reading uh, and studying First and Second Timothy and Titus and even uh, Philemon, you know, and some say Philemon and some say Philemon. So pick one. But I've been studying those and just been really blessed by all the content that's in First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus, and and those all go together, even with with uh, Philemon. And you know, when Paul wrote, he he wrote to the Ephesians, and when he wrote to them, uh, he wrote about himself. He said in Ephesians three one. And in Ephesians 4.1, that he was a prisoner of the Lord. And we know that these particular uh, epistles, Ephesians, uh, uh, Colossians, Philippians, all these ones, these writings, these letters that he wrote were called the prison epistles because he was in prison. There were, there were two uh, separate imprisonments that he had. Uh, the first one he had and we're gonna, we'll see this uh, this morning. There were two imprisonments. And in between the two, there was a space where he had freedom, where there was freedom. But then by the time his second imprisonment, and boy, I tell you, when you do a study on that, you see what this man of God went through. Uh, it's just unbelievable. Uh, he was, he, in his second imprisonment, this was in 2 Timothy the, fourth, uh, the, the second epistle of 2 Timothy. Uh, finally, when he was in the, the second and final imprisonment, when he knew that he, the, you know, the death sentence was going to be you know, put upon him, he was going to be executed. And even in that, the loving comfort that he had of Christ for himself and for others was incredible. But when you, do, when, you, when you do a study of his second imprisonment and when you realize the prison that this man was in, uh, it's called the Mamertine prison where he was. And it was in this, it was like this big castle, but if you could think of a cellar and then even below that was this stone place where he was, where there was a hole, just one hole, no windows, nothing. It was damp. There was water flowing even underneath that, so it was always damp and cold. That's why when you read First uh, and Second Timothy, especially Second Timothy, when he says, bring the cloak, he's saying, just bring the cloak for me, you know, because it's going to be winter, and if it's cold now, what's it going to be then? <laughs> Here's this prisoner, and he's calling himself not the prisoner of Rome, but the prisoner of the Lord. And uh, so here he is in this dungeon where just food and whatever food and water they would give would just be lowered down through a hole. And underneath was this water and sewerage. So you can just imagine. But that's where he's writing all these letters to us. And when I look at it, when I look at it, I just, when I, when I think of this uh, man and Christ in him, the things that he endured, you know, because Christ was in him, because he was a prisoner, and him being a prisoner of the Lord, and we'll see that again in even Philemon uh, 
1 verse 1, that again, he was a prisoner of the Lord. But the things, being a prisoner of the Lord, what he went through was so much for us, the truth about what we could have. And when we consider everything, everything that this man went through, once he became the prisoner of Christ, if, I, if we look at it and we see these things, even in 1 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians, the 11th chapter. And when he wrote 2 Corinthians, when he wrote this, uh, he, was, he was writing to those, that many of those that he had led to Christ, and the whole church in Corinth, which was in Greece, was in Corinth, he had actually taught for years. And, and, at, that, and at some point, they were rejecting him. They just, they just, it, for, at some point, they didn't want anything to do with him. They were rejecting him. And that's why he wrote in, in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-three. 23, he said, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I'm more. What he's saying, <laughs> they considered him a fool, even though he was, Christ, with his word, was speaking in and through him. I am more, in labors more abundant. Listen, in labors more abundant. All those that were accusing him of not being a special messenger of Christ, all those that were, uh, were accusing him, the, the word says he was even way more than them. And he wasn't saying that about himself. It was God the Holy Spirit that was saying that about him. And of course, it was only Christ, the person of Christ, and what Christ had accomplished on his behalf and on the behalf of all those that he was teaching, that was Christ in him when he says, I more, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in stripes. That was the Roman cat of nine tails, where in that whip there would be little pieces of leather, leather even coming off of that, and there'd be stones, and all kinds of sharp objects that were on it. And when he said in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in death, all kinds of deaths, opportunities to be killed often. Of the Jews, listen to this, five times I received 39 stripes from a Roman cat of nine tails. You just wonder, how did this guy ever survive? I mean, when you do a study on him, his height literally was between four foot nine and five foot two. He was just this little guy. Of the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes, except one. Three times was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Jeez. You see that, and you'll see that in, first, uh, in Acts, the 15th chapter. He was literally stoned. And at that point, I believe that's where we see 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, when he's in those first few verses where he said, I knew a man in Christ, whether in the body or out of the body. I don't know. But he was caught up into the third heaven. They, his body, I think it's 1 Corinthians 15, 23, 24, I mean, uh, Acts 15, 23, and 24, where they stoned him. And they dragged his body outside the city and left it like garbage. 
And then his disciples, those that he taught, circled around him thinking they were going to bury him. He pops his eyes open and, and he says, I'm okay, let's go. <laughs> Unbelievable. Once was I stoned. Three times I, sh I suffered shipwreck. A night and a, and a day I have been in the deep, in the ocean. In journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, as he did, he, as he walked those Roman roads, uh, those, those we call, like in, in Massachusetts, we call it the Mass Pike, the roads that the Romans built were so incredible, and they policed them, but those were the roads that he walked on safely, but still could be robbed as he spread the gospel. He, he said, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen that hated him, in perils by the unsaved, in perils in the city, perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. False brethren. In weariness and painfulness. <laughs> suffering. Suffering pain. <laughs> in watch, watch, watchings often, in hunger and thirst in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides those things that are without, all those things happening to him without, that which comes upon me daily, inwardly, he's saying, the care of all the churches. That's why I believe he wrote in, and wanted Titus so much to be with him, uh, because that's when he wrote in, in 2 Corinthians 7, 5, there were fears within, you know, can, you know, about the church and all that fightings without that were coming against him. And so they, and by the time he's writing to uh, Philemon, you know, he, he, is, he is again in prison. He is awaiting Nero's axe. And he's about to be poured out as a drink offering his whole life to be poured out to Christ. And that's when he wrote in Philemon's uh, uh, one verse one, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Because he, that's what he considered himself to be, no matter what. No matter what man would do, no matter what man would do to him or do against him, he considered it all that he was a prisoner of the Lord. So when you read um, Philemon's, when you read that, it's such an amazing um, epistle for us. Because even... Some have said, even in that letter, that letter, in terms of the Word of God, is the most personal, affectionate letter that's ever been written. And when we study it, and when we read it, and when we see it, and study it, and allow God to, to take us through, we see how incredible it was. So we have the picture there of Paul, and he begins by building up all those about who they are in Christ and how they've always operated in Christ, the life of Christ operating in them. And he's writing to Philemon. Philemon, when you see Philemon, uh, verse 24, you realize that he had a, the church was in his house, just like we have this morning. The church was in his house because we are the church. You can see the fact that they, did, they didn't meet in buildings, and I don't think there's anything wrong with meeting in them. Nothing wrong about it at all. As a matter of fact, it can be used to, to a great extent and purpose. 
But if I read Romans 16 and verse 5, and I read 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 19, when I read those uh, scriptures, and when I see them, and I believe it's also Colossians 4 and verse 15, that they met as the church in houses all through the area, and even some that were even close to each, each other, but they met in houses. And so he's writing to Philemon, greeting Philemon and all those that were meeting as the church in Philemon's house. He seemed to be a fairly well-off guy, but he was a very godly Christian that Paul had led to the Lord. Paul led him to the Lord. And some believe that uh, it was either in Ephesus or in Rome uh, where they had met. I believe, uh, I believe it might have been Ephesus. I'm just giving you a little background of this letter, but there's a lot that goes, that goes into it that we can glean from. Anyway, that, so he greets them and builds them up about truly who they are in Christ. But then he begins to talk to Philemon about a slave that he had, Onesimus. The slave, evidently, he was a worker, but a slave, and they had slaves then, back then. This slave that he had had actually stolen from Philemon and took off and ran as a slave. He ran and, and escaped into Rome. He escaped to Rome. Rome at that time was the capital of the known world in terms of its influence with power and money. All kinds of things. Just, just like the world system today, if we read about the world system in Galatians, the fourth chapter, verses 16 to 21, you're going to see in those chapters that was the whole world system and it was built on out living away from Christ, but in the world and all its so-called beauty and luxuriousness. And so this is where this slave, he ran away and he gets into, he, he's into Rome, this huge, humongous capital of the world, the known world right then, of, of Italy. But not only that was the capital of power and money in, in the known world. And that's where he ran away and his eyes are looking uh, at all these things. You know, the things that the enemy, that he tempted Eve with in Genesis 3, 1 to 6. He, te he tried to tempt like he could tempt Jesus. <laughs> I think that's a, that's, a, that's a laugh. That he would try and tempt Jesus in his humanity in Matthew 4, 1 through 11. In Luke uh, 4, 1 through 13, and in Mark 1, uh, 21, 22, 23, and 25, right around in those verses, he tried to tempt him, you know, by all the beauty and luxuriousness and power of the world. He still does that today to Christians, to get them to be slaves of Christ, but to get them away from him and become his slave in the world system. And, uh, but this is what happened. Uh, so, when Onesimus, he ran and he fled to Rome, here's this humongous city teeming with people, all kinds of act activity. And don't we think for a second 
that it was the mercy and grace of God, even when that slave ran away, that God was leading him out of all the people to Paul who was in prison. Somehow he got in contact with him. He received Christ immediately. Then he became immediately a joint that would supply even Paul while he was in prison. This is the whole background of this letter. And so he writes to Philemon and and he says, now you know Onesimus, we know that um, he, he ran away. He was wrong. He stole from you. Not that we would ever do that from God. Malachi 3, 8 to 10, will a man rob God? Will a man rob God? Will a Christian rob God? Of what you do to him in his glory. But so he he said, yes. And that's the truth about the grace of God. It doesn't seek to cover sin. God gives us the grace to deal with it. And so that's what he's saying. But he's saying to Philemon, this guy now, he's not just a slave to you, he's not, but he's a brother in Christ. You are now one. You have that same life in you. And he has supplied me in my time in prison. And it's been such a joint that supplied and such a joy to me in this exchange of fellowship. But I want you to know that I am sending him back to you because he wants to make things right. He wants to make things right with you. But he said, he said, Paul said, I want you to know this, that for whatever wrong he's done, whatever he has done, whatever he has cost you, I make myself responsible. I will do it. I will pay it. I will make myself to be responsible. Anything that he owes you, you put to my account and I'll make it good. Whatever it is, I don't care, whatever it is. And I'm, I'm going to send him back. It would be good if he could stay here with me. It would be good if he could stay here with me to continue to minister to me while I'm in this dungeon, this damp, dark, cold dungeon where people could come and minister at times, probably not very often, but at times. But he said, because, be, be, because I'm thinking of you, Philemon, even in my condition, because I'm thinking of you, I want to send Onesimus back to you. Because he will be of a great help and a great comfort to not only to you, but to all those that are now meeting in your house as the local assembly, as the body of Christ. And I just want you to know that I'm going to be accountable. And I'm just giving a... This goes so much deeper, but it's just this little Philemon, this little, this letter. And what an expression of the life and the love of Christ through this man, Paul, who was once the church's worst enemy. What an expression. What what he went through. But what an expression now he's saying uh, and expressing to them. And when we think about it, when we think about it, and you, and you think of the names there, think of the names in the Bible when you look them up and study them. Paul, his name means little. That's what he's saying. 
He's saying, I just want you to know in my expression, before I was born again, I was Saul. I was a religious, legalist, hard person, and I was big in my own eyes. Saul means big. He said, I met Christ and now I'm little. And, but I, he said, I'm talking to you from being little, but I have a big Christ in me. But a big Christ in my littleness is, 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 is speaking, you, speaking to you. Not above you, but in my littleness I'm speaking to you. And he was speaking to Philemon. And Philemon's name means, means one who loves. So he who's little in his own self, big in Christ, but little in his own eyes, is, is saying to Philemon, who he won and taught, Christ in him, obviously, but not separate from him. He's, he's addressing him, uh, Philemon in the way that he sees the love of Christ in him. But he's putting Philemon even ahead of himself. What a picture. Because when we think about it, when we think about it this morning, when we think about it, in one sense, and there was one man of God, he, he quoted Luther, and he said, aren't we all, every one of us that are in Christ, aren't we all his omnimes, all his little onesimuses? Yeah. At what time did we not ever leave him, run away from our master? At what time did we not ever steal or rob from him what was due to him in his glory? In what sense were we, were we not like that? Even in our fallen state, didn't, didn't we run away from him? Didn't we in any form of, of disobedience or sin or evil? In what sense did we never do that? In what sense did we not do that? And boy, did Paul know that, didn't he? Because even as the scriptures brought out, he could say in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 9, I'm not meat. I'm not qualified to be called a special, a special messenger of Jesus Christ because I persecuted the church. He said, but I am what I am by the grace of God. And I labored more abundantly. We read that in 1 Corinthians 11. He said, I labored more abundantly than them all, yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me and that was with me. He said that. And... Paul wasn't, Paul wasn't writing that about himself. The Holy Spirit was using Paul to write that about himself. He said, in no way am I qualified to be called anything or to be used in any measure apart from Christ and his grace. That's the truth with all of us. And then Paul, he said in Ephesians 3.8, I am less, I am less than the least of all the saints. And then in 1 Timothy 1.15, he knows he, it's coming up. His execution's coming. And yet he says in 1 Timothy 1 and verse 15, I am the chief of sinners. In other words, apart from Christ, that's who I am. I'm like a runaway slave. And when we run from him as Christians, when we do, from being a prisoner, a slave of love, what's... what's <laughs> Being a slave of his love and his grace and his mercy. Unconditional love. And when we run away from him, where do we run to? The only other place we can, the world. And then the, 
the glitter and the glamour and the money and the power of the world keeps us in bondage to our true master. And that's why in Jesus even said in Matthew 6 and verse 24, you can't serve two masters. You'll either hate one and love the other. You'll either cleave to one and not the other. You can't, you cannot serve. You cannot, and the word serve there is worship. You cannot worship two masters. You just can't. And so that's, the, that's what's behind uh, the truth about that letter that he wrote. Uh, this man in prison, knowing he's going to be executed, he still is esteeming others. In Philippians 2, 3, better than himself. <laughs> he's still esteeming better than himself. And, and, and what a heart, what a heart, you know. That is the very heart of Christ, isn't it? Truthfully, I mean, when, we, when we're in his presence, isn't that truly who we truly are? You know, we're little in ourselves, but we have a big Christ in us. And we can be that the lot of other runaway slaves, <laughs> slaves that are in bondage to the world system, unsaved, or even Christians that are saved. Christians that are born again. Christians that God loves so deeply and so deeply desires the fellowship with them. Having removed everything that could be between them that individual in Christ, and having removed everything between each individual in a local assembly, there's not one single thing. If only we could treat each other and we, and we have the life of Christ in us. I mean, if Paul could, the church's worst enemy, <laughs> if, he, if he could, and he could and he would, as long as he submitted his will to Christ, as long as he could, boy, what, what an amazing thing. What an amazing thing. And Onesimus, you know what his name means? Profitable. He's profitable. He's profitable. What profit we have in Christ. And that, that is who we are in opposition. But boy, when we run from him, and we do, we run from him, in terms of forgiveness, we run from him in terms of self-occupation, self-determination, self-preservation, preserving self in areas, keeping Christ out, keeping him out, and allowing the enemy to give us every single excuse under the sun why we can't treat each other the way that God himself through Christ has treated us. What, what a letter. It is, it is such an expression of the life of Christ and what he's done for every single one of us who were slaves, who served sin. In Romans 8, verse 30, uh, John 8, verse 34, if you, if you sin and you're functioning, you know you're a slave of who's your master in your experience. And John 8, 44, he's not our father, but he can be the father of our experience when we don't treat each other like we truly are. Every one of us are prisoners of the Lord. Onesimus is going to fail. You, you and I can put our names there. We, we're going to fail. 
We're going to fail. Did Onesimus fail Philemon? Yes. But that failure, but that failure, once Onesimus received Christ and received the teaching from, from the Apostle Paul, what would, what would there then be between Onesimus and Philemon? What would be between them that Christ did not deal with? And he actually, Paul, he actually deeply, deeply trusted the love that was in Philemon, Christ in him. He absolutely did. And uh, wouldn't it be something if that's what our true, because isn't that our true position? And is it not our true experience? I mean, isn't the true Christian experience, think of that word, experience, the true Christian experience, will it always include forgiveness on my part and the part of others? Will it? It will. It always does. And it's really, forgiveness is not hard. It's very easy. It's very, very, very easy for any of us. For any of us. Beautiful letter. We're just touching it a little bit this morning. Just touching on it a little bit. But there's a lot of history a lot of truth that goes into that. And uh, so don't, let's not any of us think that we're, we're so big that we can't be little enough to allow Christ to love us, to forgive us, and to forgive others, and to function in a love. Honestly, when we function in his love, can anything disturb or distract you and I when we function in his presence and his love? Can anything just do that? Nothing can do that. No. And then when the disturbance or distraction does come into the experience, and usually when we don't deal with it, it enters into sin, we just confess it in 1 John 1, 9. We just confess it. And in James 5, uh, 16, 17, we, we confess our faults. And that's what says one to another. If there's a, if, again, if there's an issue between any of us, if there's an issue, does it become an issue for the whole local assembly? It doesn't. In God's order. In God's order. And how quickly when we submit our will to him, even when we fail and sin, how quickly when we submit and confess it is, does his love, his love life, come pouring into our experience? How quick is that? How quick is God himself, through Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, so willing and waiting to be gracious in forgiveness? How quickly? How quickly? It's beautiful. So that letter to Philemon, it's just a, such a, a beautiful, you want to talk about a love letter, and, and encapsulates the, the pure gospel of the grace and truth that's in Christ, that's now functioning in one who used to be the church's, you can't, you can't, you could not have been, there is no, you couldn't have been a worse enemy of the church, did you know that? Paul was the worst, Saul at that time, was the worst enemy the church could have ever known. The worst. As a religious guy. He was re religious. 
the, the religious. He was going by the law. The law tells you what you should do, but gives you no help and no object to do it. None. Doesn't do it. So amazing to me. So amazing. But yet, yet he receives Christ and then becomes Paul. God, you know, the thing is that God has to keep us little so that Christ can continue to be so big in us. Not only is there enough love and edification, forgiveness for us, but plenty for anyone else that needs it. Because again, in what relationship, even in the most intimate, for it to function properly, if you don't have Christ between you, who is the measure and means and provision of that forgiveness. That's what he was teaching. That's what he was, and he was, when he, was, when he wrote that letter, he had full confidence that Philemon would treat him that way. And not only send him back and be responsible for all his debts, and isn't that the picture of Christ? Did Christ make himself responsible for all our debt? Is he the responsibility and fulfillment of all our forgiveness? Ephesians 4.32, no question about it. Colossians 3.13. Just a beautiful picture there of a man who's in a dungeon. I just, I can't imagine. I can't, I, I studied that deeply for a long time, for, for hours and hours, just studying and getting into the depth of that and seeing where, where he had Christ in him. Christ was his one sole object to the degree that even in the midst, he knows he's facing death. He's in this dungeon way down below. Can't imagine water, sewerage running underneath, damp, cold, a little hole, no windows, nothing. And he writes this letter. Oh my God. You don't think he had an object at that point? Boy, when Christ is not our, our personal intimate object in an exchange of a fellowship. Boy, the things that we get caught up with. But thank God, no matter what, right? When we're his prisoner, what do we have? We have everything. Amen? Amen.